to the Healthy Tips Podcast, produced by the Better Living Institute and sponsored by App Judo for your software needs, Bullet Pad for building lists on your iPad, and also sponsored by donations from our listeners, folks like you. We're Kira and Bill Van Ittersom, and today we're going to be discussing do we need mega doses of vitamin C daily? We're going to talk about our research and what that's shown us, and then we're also going to encourage you to do a little research of your own. Today's program may get a little thick with jargon, but we'll try to keep it as simplistic as we can, and please bear with us. I think it will become clear as we go along. Hello. The first thing that I'd like to do is invite you to listen to two previous podcasts from the Better Living Institute Healthy Tips. The first is Can Vitamin C Cure Heart Disease? The Linus Pauling Therapy for Reducing Heart Disease. And the second is Our Experience Using Liposomal Vitamin C. And in both of those two podcasts, we have provided some discussion about the quantities of vitamin C needed daily, the opinion of Linus Pauling, and even why we ourselves believe that larger doses of vitamin C daily are needed. Vitamin C is such a powerful vitamin. In fact, many people on the internet, and ourselves included, are now calling it the king of vitamins. That's how powerful and important it is on a daily basis to all human beings. As a matter of fact, all creatures alive on the planet Earth need vitamin C every single day to live. And this includes all of the animal kingdom, all of the creatures that swim in the sea, and all of the plants. The plants also produce their own vitamin C. That's called ascorbate acid, where the products that we need and consume are called ascorbic acid. The ascorbic acid name was actually given to this vitamin in 1932 by some researchers that were doing an extended study on scurvy. As a matter of fact, The scorbic acid name is actually a derivative of the Latin name for scurvy, which is scorbulus. In human beings, the ascorbic acid is a cofactor in at least eight enzyme reactions, and they're very important reactions that take place in the body. The first one is collagen synthesis, and collagen is the main structural protein that's found in animal connective tissue. It's the gelatin that you find when you cook your meat and you see that gelatin-type stuff. That's the collagen that we're talking about. And it's the most abundant protein in mammals. It accounts for about 30% of the protein content in the human body. And collagen is often considered to be the glue that actually holds the body together. And without the vitamin C, you're not making the collagen. That's right. (laughs) Collagen is actually found in the fibrous tissues such as the skin and the ligaments, the tendons, as well as the bones and the blood vessels, the cornea of the eyes, in the gut. It's, it's found throughout the body, so it's vital for strengthening the blood vessels and it gives the skin its elasticity and its strength. Many of the products that we use over the counter, even on our face moisturizers and things like that, contain collagen. So it's not that we're unfamiliar with it. It helps to reduce wrinkles and it helps the skin to be pliable and soft. But it also gives the youthful appearance to the skin. 
And it keeps our bodies invigorated and doing all the processes that need to be done in the body. Collagen is one of the most popular supplements among the elderly because of its skin healing properties, but it's also essential in keeping everyone young and vital. The second synthesis that vitamin C is so important and powerful in is carnitine synthesis. Now, carnitine is a substance found in every single cell in the body. The compound plays a crucial role in energy production. It transfers all the fatty acids to the mitochondria. And of course, the mitochondria could be thought of as a tiny little power station in every single cell. The vitamin C is also very, very important in neurotransmitter synthesis. A neurotransmitter is a little chemical compound that exists at the end of each nerve. So as a nerve ends, it branches out like the delta on a river or stream. And these little fingers have the impulses directed to them. They need to transfer those electrical impulses across to an opposite nerve so that your eyes can open and shut, so that your arms can lift and fall, so that your fingers can move, so that all of your little physical and even your brain thinking reactions can happen. And what transmits those little energy signals back and forth are the neurotransmitters, which are these little chemical compounds. Vitamin C has a very, very important factor in helping to synthesize them. So vitamin C is extremely important in helping out with diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and those things that are associated with deficits in certain neurotransmitters. We need vitamin C to synthesize and help these neurotransmitters do their job. This is how the messages are sent back and forth between the brain and the body and from the body back to the brain. Now, it's been widely known that ascorbic acid in a liquid form, so dissolved in water, could be sprayed on foods to keep them from oxidizing. So at the fresh greengrocer, they would make a solution to spray on some of the fruits and vegetables to keep them from oxidizing or going bad too quickly. What a lot of people did not know until the scientists discovered the link is that vitamin C or ascorbic acid in the bloodstream and also in the cells acts as a natural antioxidant. So it helps to destroy the free radicals that are in your system. And this is a very inexpensive way of doing it. Right. And because it does that, it also has a huge impact on things like cardiovascular diseases and hypertension and chronic inflammatory diseases and diabetes, as well as other critically ill patients and individuals that have maybe severe burns and things like that. Because all of these oxidative issues come up when we have free radicals in the body, they impact these diseases to a great extent. And of course, that goes for exterior wounds as well. The vitamin C or ascorbic acid does help with wound healing, and it also helps to prevent bleeding capillaries. So it really does some amazing functions in your body. And many researchers feel that most people just do not get enough in their daily diet. That's true. Another thing that vitamin C does that's really essential for the body is that it helps to maintain the metabolism. It helps with all of the chemical reactions that occur in the cells of the living organism that sustain life. This is what the metabolism is all about. You could say that it's all of the chemical reactions that occur in any living organism 
from digestion to the transportation of substances and communication from cell to cell, anything that takes place, it can all be considered a function of metabolism. And vitamin C assists with all of this. Without the vitamin C, none of the metabolic exchanges that take place can take place. So it's extremely important. It's absolutely essential. And if you don't get it, you will have various diseases. Of course, as the researchers identified, scurvy being one of the most deadly because after so many weeks or even so many months, a person, a human being will in fact die of scurvy without proper dosages of vitamin C. Most organisms on the earth make their own. There's only a few that do not. As I said before, all plants make their own, and that's called ascorbate acid. The animals and fish and other biological creatures make their own, and it's the same ascorbic acid that we use when we take supplements or eat fruit. The exceptions are most bats and all guinea pigs and several of the monkey and ape species, and then, of course, man. There are just a very few birds and a few fish that don't make their own. Now, it's hypothesized. No one really knows for sure. But the idea was that because early man, and of course the primates of today, live in a tropical or semi-tropical region and existed initially in a semi-tropical region when they were first on Earth, that they ate the indigenous plants and they ate what was available in their environment, which of course was a lot of fruit and a lot of fresh plant life. Now, they're not having the vegetables that we have today, but they had a form of vegetables that they ate, and certainly many of the fruits that are available today, they did have. So their diet, consisting primarily of fruits and vegetables, they got a lot of vitamin C. Well, early, early, early man was able to make vitamin C, but evolutionary processes like to throw off or slough off processes that are energy intensive. So as some of the members of the early human population began to get so much vitamin C from their diet that they lost the ability to actually make it for themselves, their offspring became more dominant. That's the whole theory of evolution, that the more efficient will become more dominant and then their offspring will continue with that same quirky factor, which to them was, why make vitamin C when it's so presently available? Unfortunately, as a human race, we didn't all stay along the equator in the tropics. And you don't see a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables in Canada, (laughs) or in Northern Europe, or in Russia. So we had to get Mm -hmm. that some other way. And cultures that have a hard time getting fresh fruits and vegetables do have problems with daily vitamin C intake. So how much do we actually need then? Well, pharmacists have said that they've developed a system which they call the RDA, which is the recommended daily allowance for various vitamins and minerals. And for vitamin C, they've kind of broken it down that babies between zero and six months need 40 milligrams a day. Babies 7 to 12 months need 50 milligrams, and this is both male and female. Babies 1 to 3 years old need 15 milligrams. Not really sure why it dropped off so drastically there for those toddlers. 
but 15 milligrams a day. Children 4 to 8 need 25 milligrams. Children 9 to 13 need 45 milligrams. Children 14 to 18, 75 milligrams. And then we get to the adult population. If you're an adult and you're over 19 years old, you need 90 milligrams. That's for a male adult. If you're a female adult, you need 75 milligrams. And for adults that are female and pregnant, need 85 milligrams. And adults that are female and nursing need a great deal more, 120 milligrams. Now, bear in mind that the FDA or the United States Food and Drug Administration, RDA, which is the recommended daily allowances, are what many researchers and scientists are actually calling ridiculous deficiency allowances. And these quantities are so low, they're designed to help prevent things like scurvy. But many scientists say that they're helping you live in a subclinical scurvy condition because of such low amounts daily of vitamin C. We discussed this earlier, and I was telling Bill that I have actually an experience with this because as a child, I didn't eat a lot of vitamin C. My family didn't provide it. I think it was just something my parents didn't grow up doing. They lived on a farm. And I remember my mom saying she would get a big orange at Christmas time, and they thought that was a real treat. Although they did get a lot of healthy vegetables from the farm, they did not grow a lot of citrus-type fruits or fruits and vegetables that had high levels of vitamin C. And my parents, for the most part when I was growing up, cooked most of the food that we ate. We did not eat a lot of salad. We had mostly cooked food like mashed potatoes, a side of vegetables, and some kind of meat for dinner. A lot of times I'd go off to school with a cereal if I ate any breakfast at all. So I really wasn't getting any vitamin C much. And I can remember having a lot of bruises on my arms and legs as a child, and so much so that it was almost embarrassing at times. And I can now relate to that because I can see that I was not getting anywhere near the vitamin C level that I probably needed to be healthy. Well, online I found a study. Now, this study involved some Iraqi women and some women from Gambia in Africa. I did not find a similar study that involved Western mothers, but this was women who were nursing, and the scientists collected samples of these mothers' breast milk, and the results of the test for the Iraqi women were that in the winter, the mothers had only 3.02 milligrams per 100 milliliters, or one-tenth of a liter, in their breast milk of vitamin C or ascorbic acid. And in the summer, when fruits were more plentiful, they had 3.9 milligrams per 100 milliliters. Well, I went to look up what does a baby normally drink or how much could a baby consume. And another study showed that between 570 and 900 milliliters a baby could consume in a day. So if you do the multiplying out, you find that even if you take the upper limit of what a baby could consume, 900 milliliters, which is nine-tenths of a liter of breast milk, that baby would only get 35.1 milligrams of vitamin C per day. And that would be in the summer when the fruits were plentiful. So what I'm trying to say is without supplementation, the baby is definitely in a pre-scurvy condition. 
Yeah, that's below the recommended daily allowance, which we've already established is, you know, not enough to begin with from our estimation. But even the RDA recommended amount is 40 milligrams a day. The baby's only getting around 35. Now, most Western babies, of course, are supplemented. Most of the mothers, that's, of course, if they can afford it. I would suppose that some of the people in America cannot afford it and are not supplying their babies with the supplemental foods and vitamins. But certainly many of the children that are raised in the Western world do have supplemental formula and supplemental vitamins and so forth. And so they're definitely getting at least enough to get them past the early diseases. But without supplementation, it's impossible for the baby to even get the minuscule amount that the RDA says they need. That's very interesting. How much vitamin C do animals make? We have a study that said goats make their own vitamin C, and if they weigh approximately 155 pounds, they would manufacture approximately 13,000 milligrams. So that's 13 grams of vitamin C per day. And that's in a normal, healthy goat. And now remember that the RDA for human males is 90 milligrams, not 90 grams, or not 9 grams. And a goat by itself will make 13,000 versus the 90 that the FDA says that is proper for a daily intake for an adult human male in America. So why should goats get so much more than us? Good question. And most of them don't weigh as much as we do as adults. Well, 155 pounds. Now, I weigh considerably more than 155 Mm -hmm. pounds. The same study also showed that when a goat is under stress, they'll make several times that. So stress alone is a major user of vitamin C inside the body. Right. The 13,000 milligrams was for just a normal, healthy use for a goat, not one under any undue stress. Another study that we took a look at showed that most primates in their natural environment, so your monkeys and apes and gorillas, in their natural environment, again, because they're eating so much fruit and other leafy products, that they will end up getting from 10 to 20 times the amount of fresh vitamin C than what an adult human will get, even in a Western culture. And this usually includes even those who are supplementing. But in our diet, for sure, we're not going to get that amount, not anywhere near the amount that they're getting. One of the things that we also did is looked at what is vitamin C essential for in the body? Where does the vitamin C get used up? And we found that vitamin C is found most prevalently in the adrenal glands, in the pituitary, the thymus, the corpus luteum, the retina, These are all the tissues that accumulate over 100 times the level of vitamin C that's found in our blood plasma. So that points out that there are certain activities that take place in the body that demand vitamin C and that will use up whatever you're putting into your body quite readily. Other tissues that actually have from 10 to 50 times the concentration of vitamin C in the blood plasma are the brain, the spleen, the lung tissue testicles in males, the lymph nodes, the liver, which is our major cleaning organ, the thyroid, the small intestinal mucosa, the pancreas, the kidneys, and your salivary glands. So again, vitamin C is just so crucial 
in the body. And when you measure it in the bloodstream, and you're thinking, wow, the body doesn't need all that much, the scientists still need to go into these other organs to take a look at what is being stored there to see what the real usage of the vitamin C is. And of course, when the body is under stress or when it has an infection, for example, or an illness of some type, it's going to demand a whole lot more, a tremendous amount more sometimes. We think vitamin C really is essential in much larger doses than what is recommended. Another study we found showed that vitamin C is actually a natural antihistamine. So when you go to the drugstore and you're buying these antihistamines, you could actually use vitamin C supplements instead of this drug. In a 1992 study, scientists found that patients taking 2 grams of vitamin C daily, and of course, again, 2 grams versus 90 milligrams, so they took 2,000 milligrams of vitamin C daily, they could lower their blood histamine levels by 38%. That's pretty remarkable. Yes, it is. And most of us know that if we do get a cold, they want to take more vitamin C. One of the things that we said in one of our earlier podcasts is that even when you take, say, a 1,000 milligram tablet of vitamin C, when your body is digesting it, you're really only getting about 20% of that vitamin C into your bloodstream. So it's really essential that we take a lot more than what we might normally think about taking. We need to take a break for a moment. We want to thank a sponsor, one of the fine companies that makes our show possible. This segment of Healthy Tips is sponsored by AppJudo, your complete and mobile application development service. The Japanese word judo means the gentle way. The martial art of judo got this name because it signifies maximum efficiency and mutual welfare and benefit. AppJudo follows these same principles in all of its software development projects, using the best technologies and computer science principles to serve clients' needs elegantly and intelligently. AppJudo prides itself on building attractive and intuitive user interfaces that your customers will easily understand and love to use. Whether you want to design and build a new app or refactor and redesign an existing app, AppJudo can help make your project a success. Visit AppJudo today at www.appjudo.com. Now, let's get back to our discussion about vitamin C. Let's take a quick look at some of the deficiency reactions from the lack of vitamin C. Now, previously, I mentioned scurvy, and I mentioned the fact that the actual name ascorbic acid came from comparison to the Latin name for scurvy, which is scorbulus. Scurvy has been actually known about and been treated for thousands of years. The father of medicine, Hippocrates, who lived between 400 and 320 BC, knew about this disease. They didn't call it scurvy in those days, but they knew about it and they knew ways to treat it. Of course, eat leafy vegetables, eat certain citrus products that were available in the Mesopotamian Greek areas. Scurvy has been a major problem for Western mankind ever since the 1400s or so when sea travel began. Long sea voyages meant very little fresh food, meant very little fresh greens. Without refrigeration, basically they would go bad within three or four days to two weeks. 
So it was very difficult to have some products when they were so far from shore, unless the captains would frequently stop and replenish. Now, Captain Cook did that in his voyages to the South Seas during the 1500s, but this was not a very common thing. More sailors were lost to scurvy, and then when they had passenger travel, more humans were lost to scurvy than in all the battles combined from, let's say, 1500 all the way through to World War I. That's kind of a remarkable thing to think about, you know, but it really was kind of a hit and miss exploration of what to do about this illness. Nobody knew quite what was causing it or how they could get rid of it. They just knew that people were getting violently ill and dying on board ship. And as we said earlier, ascorbic acid is so important in the production of collagen. And collagen being the glue that holds the body together, the body began to fall apart, actually. And the brown spots that Kira was talking about, which she thought were bruises on her skin, were probably pre-scurvy. The brown spots would accumulate on arms and thighs and legs. Patients would develop spongy gums and bleeding from their nose and from other mucous membranes. Eventually, they would lose their teeth and they would get jaundice and have fever and other neuropathies. Then followed death. And it took a very long time of just, by accident, making discoveries of things that worked. Or learning things, maybe from other populations in the world, people that we hadn't encountered before, who maybe had remedies for these things. So along the way, a lot of people died. The Crusaders frequently suffered from scurvy. And this is back in the 13th century when they were going across Europe to take back the Holy Land. Right. and then. Slowly, a lot of the curative effects of citrus fruits became known. First, we had to discover them and then, of course, start using them. So it took a while for these things to take effect. But between 1500 and 1800, it had been estimated that 2 million sailors had died of scurvy. And as Kira said, it was really hit and miss, the discovery of this science in England, for instance, which was a power on the sea, they still didn't understand that citric acid or ascorbic acid was the beneficial factor and that they had to use fresh citric acid or ascorbic acid because vitamin C will oxidize and at higher temperatures it will definitely be destroyed. So some of the interesting developments of learning through this science In 1593, which is 100 years after Christopher Columbus sailed to the New World, Admiral Richard Hawkins advocated drinking orange and lemon juice, but he didn't quite understand why that was helping. And also, it was difficult for him to keep the fresh juice on hand. In 1740, which is over 150 years later, citrus juice, usually lemon or lime juice, was used in the water to help keep the barrels of water fresh so they would get brackish and they would over a longer period of time get nasty to drink and the sailors were allowed to have what was called grog every single day which was a watered down rum with some of this brackish water so to help keep the water fresh they put lemon and lime juice in the water sailors who were on shipboards who had that practice were much healthier and rarely had scurvy But again, they didn't quite understand, and 
Many of the sea captains thought that it was the acid alone. In fact, so much so that on some of the voyages, they gave the sailors sulfuric acid to drink. Now, sulfuric acid is battery acid. So if you could imagine putting battery acid in your mouth and drinking it, I mean, it was probably not full strength like in a battery, but it was probably still pretty nasty. I know that when I'm working on a battery of one of my cars, and I don't do that now because we're driving newer cars, but when I used to drive old iron years ago, you'd get a little bit on your hands and you might end up tasting it. And it is Mm. some nasty stuff. That's what they thought. They thought, well... If it, it was, was acid, it would work. <laughs> it was acid. Yeah. Now, it wasn't until 1747 that James Lind, who was a Navy surgeon, he was actually on board, and he conducted a formal experiment. They say that it was the first controlled experiment that was ever written in human history. I don't know, but... The first clinical trial. <laughs> the first clinical trial. And he actually discovered through this clinical trial that it was... Citric acid, not battery acid, not sulfuric acid, not bicarbonate of soda, but actually citric acid from different citrus plants. Now, he tried to bottle a miracle cure. He actually started selling lime juice, but unfortunately, he wasn't able to pasteurize it, and most of it went bad, so they didn't quite believe his research. And it took probably almost another 50 years before the British Navy incorporated the information that was in his study into their actual naval practice. So progress is slow. But you know, it is slow. There have been many proponents of megadoses of vitamin C, those who really believe that it is important to take a lot more than that RDA amount. And yet, through the years, many of them have been ignored or ridiculed, actually, by the medical profession. And, you know, I really don't want to harbor a lot of grudges toward the medical profession. I do admire and appreciate many of the wonderful medical discoveries. But very often, there is a sort of arrogance that goes with that profession. I think many of us are aware of that. Because Linus Pauling himself was not a medical doctor, his viewpoint, I mean, here he was a Nobel Prize winning chemist, but his viewpoint was kind of poo-pooed by the medical society. Linus Pauling worked very closely with Dr. Ewan Cameron from England on several studies, cancer studies in particular, but other studies as well. And Dr. Cameron had his own patient group and did a lot of the experiments with patients in the hospital where he had rights to work and also with his clinical patient group. They wrote books together. Linus Pauling's got three books, Two in particular that would be important on this podcast, vitamin C, the common cold and the flu, and cancer and vitamin C, a discussion of the nature, causes, and prevention and treatment of cancer. And I think he did co-author this with Dr. Ewan Campbell. Now, the one that I love the most, and the one that's really become our Bible, because it does talk about not only mega doses of vitamin C, but larger doses of other vitamins and how that can help in your daily life is how to live longer and feel better. And I totally recommend that you get a copy of that book one way or another and read it. It was republished in 2000 with some additional materials from some of the associates at Dr. Pauling's lab. And it is just a wonderful, wonderful resource about how vitamins and minerals and other things work within your body. Yes, and another proponent was Erwin Stone. He lived from 1907 to 1984, 
and he is an American biochemist, a chemical engineer. He was also an author. He was actually the first person who used ascorbic acid in the food processing industry. He used it as a preservative. And he also originated and published the hypothesis that humans do require much larger amounts of vitamin C for optimal health than what is necessary just to prevent scurvy. And this was the person, Erwin Stone, who helped spur the work of Dr. Linus Pauling. Linus Pauling read this report, and then he met Mr. Stone, and together they formulated some of the ideas that Linus Pauling then went on to research for years and years later in his lab. And this was before Linus Pauling hooked up with Dr. Ewan Cameron. So, you have to ask yourself, why would these brain powers spend all of their time doing this kind of work if it weren't that important? There's a doctor from Germany called Matthias Rath who bears a lot of work if you want to do some additional reading. Some of his materials are on the internet and some are in other books that he has written. So he's another great resource for you. And a couple more strong proponents of megadoses of vitamin C. Dr. Thomas Levy and the pharmacist Ben Fuchs. Now, vitamin C is inhibited by certain drugs that you might take. Aspirin, which you might not really realize, but aspirin inhibits the absorption of vitamin C in your body. If you take some of the stomach acid drugs, which I used to, I don't now, but the omeprazole, which is Prilosec, which is a proton pump inhibitor, causes a great reduction in vitamin C. Almost a third of the vitamin C that's freely available is wiped out by this proton pump inhibitor, omeprazole, or as they say, Prilosec. Right. And of course, other PPIs are also the cause of that same kind of reaction. So any of the proton pump inhibitors. One of the things that we've done is we've started taking our vitamin C on an empty stomach, and we do that for the very reason that stomach acid does reduce absorbability. We have a regimen, and we kind of wait until the time of the day. We usually take it early in the day before we begin eating. But people develop different regimens based on the fact that stomach acid does reduce the absorption of vitamin C. So it's something important to be aware of. I want to take a break right now because we're going to take a moment to thank another one of our special sponsors on our show. And this segment of Healthy Tips is sponsored by BulletPad, the fun and intuitive app for writing outlines and organizing your thoughts on your iPad. With BulletPad, you can quickly create a hierarchical list of bullet points, giving structure to your great ideas. BulletPad's a great tool for writers and thinkers, featuring a simple but powerful toolbar above the keyboard to help you navigate your text with arrow keys and to change the indent of your bullet points. Use drag and drop to move your bullet points anywhere in the list and use the zoom in feature to drill down on any section of your list. Or you can use zoom out to get the big picture view. BulletPad is available now for free. Just go to the App Store on your iPad and search for BulletPad. And now we're going to continue with our vitamin C discussion. What are some of the food sources of vitamin C? When we're doing some of this research and actually when we're reporting it to friends and even family members, it's very common for people to say, oh, I get enough vitamin C or I eat oranges and I drink orange juice every morning and I'm sure I'm getting enough vitamin C. So we thought we would do some research and see how much vitamin C is available 
in some of the fruits and vegetables that are available to us, especially in our Western diet. All right, so some of the more common ones, of course, orange juice. If you drank three quarters of a cup, you'd get 93 milligrams of vitamin C in that cup. That is equivalent to the federal government's FDA recommended (laughs) daily allowance, which is 90 milligrams. So in a three-quarter cup serving of orange juice, you will get your RDA for that day. Right. Of course, you're also going to get a lot of sugar. (laughs) Another thing that you can eat is broccoli. You know, everybody loves broccoli. In a half a cup of broccoli, you get 51 milligrams. Of course, this is depending on how you cook your broccoli. If you overcook it, it's probably going to destroy most of the vitamin C. So one of the things that Bill's always talking about is when he makes our liposomal vitamin C that we take, he has to be very careful not to let the equipment get too hot or it destroys the vitamin C content. Now, I like peppers more than I like that broccoli. I don't know when the old president said he hated broccoli. I don't know. (laughs) Red peppers are actually better because they're ripe. They're actually a green pepper that's ripened out. So a half a cup of red pepper will give you 95 milligrams. So even more than drinking your orange juice. But how does this compare with what we're talking about in terms of having larger doses? Again, the goat that had 13,000 milligrams of vitamin C that he makes per day. How will this work out for you to get larger doses of vitamin C from your diet? Well, let's take a look at that orange. So if you eat the orange rather than juice it and drink the orange, so you eat one medium orange, which means you're getting all of the fiber, which is really good for you as well. So one medium orange has 70 milligrams of vitamin C. So again, the goat is making 13,000 milligrams. 13,000 divided by 70 means, and I hope you're ready for this, you're going to have to eat 185 and three-quarter oranges. At 45 calories per orange, you've just eaten 8,358 calories. That'll put your waistline up. (laughs) Right. Now, strawberries are another really good one. In one cup of strawberries, you get 98 milligrams of vitamin C. So you divide 13,000 milligrams that that goat would get every day by 98 milligrams, and you're going to get 132 and one-half cups of strawberries that you would have to eat. That's a lot of strawberries. <laughs> so, And it's 7,155 calories. Exactly. Of course, most of us are never going to eat that amount, but You get the idea. What we're trying to say here is you'd have to eat an awful lot of food to get the amount of vitamin C that you'd be required to have if you were a goat. (laughs) We operate under the theory that vitamin C is needed in megadoses on a daily basis. We feel that we're not getting anywhere near the amount of vitamin C that we need to be optimally healthy. The conclusion is that we have to supplement our diet. There's no other way to get what we really need. You could swallow 43 tablets, or what Bill calls horse pills, of vitamin C, but you would only get about 30% of the actual vitamin C in that pill. 
Or you could mix three and a half level tablespoons of ascorbic acid powder into water or some kind of juice, which would be very bitter to drink. And that would be also at an efficiency rate of 30%. And we're saying this because through the digestive process, you're going to eliminate a lot of the vitamin C that you've just ingested, whether it's in the tablet form or the powder form. Or you can supplement with four liquid ounces of homemade liposomal vitamin C. And we take this on a daily basis. And Bill says that we get 4,220 milligrams per ounce. So four ounces is 16,800 milligrams per day, which at a 75% efficiency rate is back to your 13,000 milligrams that the goat makes. Now, we don't always take four ounces a piece every single day. We do take two ounces a piece every single day. Some days we'll take more than four ounces, especially if we're coming down with a cold. And some days we will only stay with the two ounces, which we feel is sufficient. But it depends on our bodies, and we do try to listen to the body as much as anything. It's easy to take four because you could take two in the morning, as Kira said, on an empty stomach. And then later in the afternoon, after your lunch is digested, you can take the other two and you don't need to worry about it in the evening. And you've got 13,000 milligrams or 13 grams of vitamin C. Now, please stay tuned for our next podcast, which is how we make liposomal vitamin C. If you wish to try it, it will give you a lot of tips and a lot of tricks. Absolutely. And Bill does a very thorough job of explaining from A to Z how he makes it and the entire process of how it's all done. So don't miss that one. Before we end, I want to just say for those of you listening that we are not licensed healthcare providers and nothing we say here should be misconstrued as medical advice. It's not meant to treat or diagnose or prescribe anything. Everything that we share here in our podcast is our own opinions based on our own personal research and our experimentation. So please consult your own licensed medical advisor before following this or any other health program or advice. The bottom line is you're responsible for your own life, and we do encourage you to do some research of your own as well. Bill and I want to thank you for being with us today. You can subscribe to our podcast by going to iTunes Podcast. Just look for the Healthy Tips Podcast produced by the Better Living Institute. You can also find us at our website at www.betterlivinginstitute.com. There you'll find all of our products, our articles, and our podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, we hope that you'll share it with your friends and family. So thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.